Okay, well, we're uh, into our series, Paradise Loved and Lost. We're well in the series now. This morning, uh, we're going to be reading some verses from Genesis chapter 2 and uh, verses 18 to 25. And I'm going to be reading this from the Christian Standard Bible. The words will come up behind me. Uh, So if you want to follow it, you can do on the screen. If you've got a Bible in front of you, you can follow it in your Bible. This is what it says. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of the ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman before she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. What a great passage this is. The title of this morning's talk is Man and Woman in Paradise. I don't know if you've been following the news this week of what's been happening in COP26, the UN Climate Change Summit. But there's been tens of thousands of people in the last days on the streets uh, challenging world leaders about climate change. What's the goal? What's, what's what, what are they aiming for? I want to suggest that this passage that we just read in chapters 1 and 2 in Genesis hold up the picture of what man is aiming for and hoping for. Men and women living in harmony in the world that God created. I want to ask us this question. Does this passage hold any basis in reality for us here today? Are we to take it literally or are we to take it as an analogy? Is it history or is it poetry? At the outset, I want to say to you this morning that this passage is the inspired word of God. And God gives his word to teach us and train us in living God-fearing lives in our broken world. And so even if it is an analogy and there's some poetry in it, God is still teaching us about himself, he's teaching us about ourselves, and he's teaching us about the world around us. And we ignore God at our peril. And if Genesis chapter 1 is a panoramic overview of God creating the heavens and the earth out of nothing in an ordered way, then Genesis Chapter 2 gives us a zoomed-in view, focusing on detail that's not revealed in Genesis chapter 1. These are important passages of Scripture. 
And it's why both Jesus and the Apostle Paul, when they're talking about these issues, go back to these verses in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Because they challenge and speak directly into our culture and the brokenness of our world. Here we're faced with the truth that animals, whilst they are uh, precious to us, they aren't as significant as humans made in the image of the living God. You know, cruelly drowning puppies is a terrible thing. But it isn't the same as traffickers allowing migrants to drown in the channel. This passage blows the wind of truth into the fog of gender confusion and gender politics in which we live. It speaks into many significant issues. But in our short time that we have this morning, I want to focus on four things that this passage reveals. The first thing, it reveals something about God. It's not good for the man to be alone, God said. I will make a helper corresponding to him. If anything, these last uh, 18, 19 months of periods of isolation where we've been locked in on our own through COVID, it's made us realize our great need of community, our need of other people and of one another. And Genesis, these verses remind us of the God who created us for community. The God who himself dwells in community. Who's always dwelled in community. What we see hinted at in these first verses of Genesis remind us, the hint is there of a God who dwells in community. Father, Son, and spirit. And as we see the scripture unfold from Genesis through the rest of the Old Testament and into the New Testament, we see a God who is one and yet three persons Father, Son, and Spirit. You know, God has never been lonely. God has always dwelt in beautiful harmony and relationship, loving community. God is totally content. God made us to live in community, not because he needed relationship with us. God created us to be in community. God knows that loneliness is bad. And if God created man in his image, then Adam on his own meant that God hadn't finished. One commentator says this, One of the disastrous consequences of the Enlightenment was its concentration on the individual. The end of that road is the misery of the me generation. Deep cracks open up in our culture. And words like fellowship and community so easily fall through. And that is the world that we are living in. A world where fellowship and community has literally fallen through the cracks of our self-centeredness. And here in Genesis chapter 2, we see God's commitment to restoring our 
brokenness. He wants us to be whole. Man was incomplete, so God made a helper to provide what was lacking. This was no servant or skivvy. The word that's used, helper, Ezer, the Hebrew Ezer, is used of God himself 16 out of 19 times that it's used in the Old Testament. We read in Samuel where Samuel says that he sets up a stone and he calls it Ebenezer, Ebenezer. And he says, so far has God helped us. God is our helper. And if God's our helper, then there is no place in our Christian society for treating women as inferior. Community is made up of people who help each other. And when God says, I will make a helper corresponding to man, the Hebrew word means according to his opposite. According to his opposite. And so we're to understand from this that the word helper, a helper is of equal value but different. This is the basis of real community. You see, community involves us helping each other. Too often we, we think of helping as being insignificant acts. Things that don't really matter, laying the table or taking the rubbish out. That is not what this is talking about. At the time, this word was used of, of armies, of people coming to help with a war. A little like when soldiers are in trouble and the cavalry appears over the hill to provide fresh reinforcements. And the day is saved because they come. The word conveys strengthening. You know, we live in a day where individualism is rife. COVID has made us painfully, be, painfully aware of our need for community. And the Bible is clear. Church, family, friendships, marriage, they're all expressions of the community that God created for us as his image bearers. And the challenge for us this morning is where are we investing? What are we investing in? You see, community isn't something that's done for us. It's something that we do. And something that we do together. This passage teaches us about God. The second thing, this passage teaches us about man. You know, God could have created man and woman together and saved some time. And yet, however we view this passage, it's clear that God made Adam first. We do have to ask the question, is it significant? Those who argue that it isn't have serious challenges avoiding the thread and the implications of the thread of the argument that flows from Genesis chapter 1 and 2 through the Old Testament and in to the New Testament. And it seems clear 
that because God created man first, he gave him specific instructions and responsibilities. And we'll be hearing more of that in the coming weeks. It's why God holds man accountable, Adam accountable for Eve's and his own disobedience. And he still holds Eve responsible for her disobedience. Tim will be talking about this in a few weeks' time. I want to say as men, we need to take our responsibilities seriously. Has God given you something to do? Then you need to be doing it. Becky challenged us a few weeks ago about changing the culture in our workplace. As men, we can change the culture in our workplace. We can change the course of office banter. We can change conversations at the water cooler and the coffee machine. We can change conversations, change the direction of conversations in the classroom and in the playground. Are we keeping quiet for an easy life? You see, creation wasn't complete until God had made woman. And one of the weaknesses in us as men is the unwillingness to receive help. You know, I usually avoid asking for help, and it pretty much always ends in disaster. And refusing to ask for help is looking for trouble. You see, too many of us men are relationally isolated, emotionally shut down, and unwilling to ask for help. And when we fail to do that, and we fail to face up to the situation properly that we're facing, maybe that's the reason why, in my experience, men pray less, because they think they can do it on their own. I want to say to us as men this morning, as gently as I can, we need to stop being proud and we need to start asking for help. And we need to start with the God who created us and formed us and then with the people that we trust. You see, whilst man could function without woman, it's clear he couldn't achieve what God had set out for mankind. So when God brought the animals for him to name, he was doing it to show that he was on his own and he needed help. Up until that moment, God had helped man. But now God gives him a task and God is silent as he brings the animals in front of him and man is left to name the animals by himself. Maybe that explains some of the ridiculous names for animals that we have. <laughs> I want to say, when, my when we were having children, when my children were about to be born, I came up with names for our children. So uh, I wanted our son, I was talking to Annie, I'd say, I'd like, I, think, I, I think a great name for him is Ronnie. And she said, why, what on, why on earth would you want to call him Ronnie? I said, well, it's a character name. He'll grow up tough with the name Ronnie. I, it makes me think of an East End getaway driver. <laughs> and and when, we came to, when we were going to have a, a daughter, I wanted to call her Bronwyn because I'm from Wales. So I would have called them Ronnie and Bronnie. That's what they would have been. 
Fortunately, I had a wife who stepped in and said, stop talking such nonsense. And so they have great names, Joe and Meg. Left to his own devices, man saw that he needed help. You see, the mission to increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, was impossible on his own. And God places us in community because we need each other. This is a crazy world that we are living in. And the removal of God-given boundaries is creating chaos. I was listening to an American pastor, Matt Chandler. He said this, Biology doesn't make someone a man. What he meant was this. An eight-year-old boy is male, but he isn't a man. He he still thinks like an eight-year-old. He still talks to people like an eight-year-old. He talks to women like an eight-year-old. We are living in a world where there are Boys who are shaving, driving fast cars, running businesses in places of authority, and they are creating chaos in our world. Men, God has called you to be men. So if you're a man or in the process of being a man, God wants you to take responsibility He wants you to honor all the women he has placed in our lives to help us function as he intended. This passage teaches us about men. The third thing is this passage teaches us about woman. You see, God knew that man was lonely, so he gave him, what, a PlayStation 5? A car with go-faster stripes? An iPhone? A bottle of single malt? No. God gave him a companion equal but different. God made male and female. I was reading in the paper this week, Kathleen Stock, a Sussex University professor, made this statement. Identity doesn't trump biology as far as the law is concerned. That's all she said. And students took her down on social media and hounded her, and she resigned. What a crazy world we live in. Man was made from the ground and breathed life into him. Why why didn't God do that when he created woman? The Bible says she's made from the man. He was asleep when it happened. Sadly, the truth is, most of us men are still asleep when the difficult things happen. God is making it clear that women are equal in dignity, value, and worth. Surely in 21st century Winchester, we don't need to hear this. I want to say this. Every time we allow women to be spoken about in a derogatory way, we are devaluing the amazing women that God has created. When women are undervalued, mistreated, or ignored, we all suffer. I want to say this. Eve was not a better version. Adam Mark II. 
nor because she, when she came after was she second best or inferior. The 18th century commentator Matthew Henry says this, the woman was made, out of, made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. True community is where we find our place together, loving, caring, and preferring each other. God wants to use you women to make things whole in homes, in church, in schools, in workplaces, in politics, in the media, in academia. Your voice needs to be heard. Just like our Father God, you're to be a helper bringing strength, wisdom, common sense in your unique and invaluable contribution. We do that in all sorts of ways. I have seen some amazing women thriving in the church around. Women who are doing amazing jobs, who keep things going when no one else sees what's happening. They're the ones, there's some amazing women who keep things running and happening here in church life. Over these last weeks, I've been personally strengthened by older ladies encouraging me. The word encouraging means give courage to. On the Bayo tapestry, it has a picture of Bishop Odo encouraging the troops, and he's got a spear, and he's jabbing them. He's giving them courage. I've been encouraged by ladies coming to me saying, well done, it must have been a difficult season this last 18 months. Well done, keep going. I'm praying for you. I want to tell you that gives me courage. In Romans chapter 16, 16, Paul closes his letter by greeting and commending a number of people. He especially commends Phoebe, a deaconess in the church in Kentria, who's been a great help to many, and especially to Paul himself. He asked them to help her. It's a picture of community where we mutually help one another, strengthen one another. As men, we should be thrilled when you as women are being all that God called you to be. Sadly, many men have held back women by ungodly attitudes and not given them the opportunities they should have had. And God's desire is that you flourish in all that he's calling you to do. He wants you to take responsibility for the area that God's laid in front of you. He wants you to be those who build up and don't knock down. I want to say this to you gently. It is so easy to knock things down. Oh, that's rubbish, or this is rubbish. Why don't you make the decision to be someone who is going to build others up around you in community? If you're a student or a teenager, what's God speaking to you about as a woman? Maybe you're thinking, you're sitting here, well, you don't know, Steve, I'm older in years. I want to tell you it is never too late to make a difference 
and to do something new. In church, God wants us to flourish, delighting in our differences, knowing that we can do more together. As Paul says in Corinthians chapter, tw- one, uh, chapter 12, verse 21, we need each other. Lastly, this passage tells us something about marriage. I want to say that marriage has been slowly dismantled over the last 20 or 30 years. And it is a disaster for our society. And yet these verses at the end of this passage that we read show a key way that God intended men and women to relate to each other in community. And that's through marriage. You see, in this passage, it says God brings the woman to the man. It's an image of that we would have today of a father bringing a bride down the aisle to a husband-to-be. This, we see in Genesis chapter 2, is the first wedding. These verses underline why biblical marriage is only between a man and a woman. It involves them being united in covenant commitment, It's not a contract. A contract is, I'll do this for you if you do that for me. That's what this nation talks about when it talks about marriage. The Bible talks about covenant commitment where we make promises to one another that we will keep whatever the other person does. It involves becoming one flesh. It reminds us that marriage is to be monogamous. It speaks of intimacy and harmony. If God thinks it's important, then so should we. I want to say, as I've just been saying, that some of you are probably starting to switch off. You're thinking, I'm single. Maybe you're thinking, I don't want to get married. Maybe you're thinking, I wanted to get married, but it never happened for me. Maybe you're thinking, I was married, but I'm not married anymore. Maybe you're thinking, I am married, but I want to tell you, Steve, this is no paradise. I may not understand what you're going through, but God does. Jesus was the perfect man. He was the last Adam, and yet he never got married. And he lived the most perfect and fulfilled life. Many Christians have embraced singleness like Jesus and have embraced and lived fruitful lives. You can too. Many have lived through challenging marriages like John and Molly Wesley. You read the story of their marriage. That was a tricky, tricky marriage. But many have experienced divorce and know the pain of it and have still come out of it at the end to live fruitful lives. God. At the start of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, we read of God introducing marriage in paradise. But you know what? It is just a pointer to the real deal at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. At the end of Revelation, we see another marriage. We see the church being married to Christ. I want to say that no one will miss out 
What's happening in this world at this time is a pointer to a day coming when we will all enjoy. If we put our trust in Christ of being married to him and knowing intimacy, harmony, perfect community forever and ever and ever and ever. No one will miss out. The key is putting your trust in him. You can do that today if you've never done it. You can give your life to Jesus Christ and you can come to know God as your father today. I want to challenge us all today to put our trust in God. You see, the challenge for us is for as we face that day when one day we will be with him forever, when we will be married to him is that we need to get ourselves ready as a bride gets herself ready for her wedding day. We need to take responsibility over our own lives and what God's called us to do, over our behavior, of the way we think, of the way we act, of the way we treat other people. Whether we're married, single, widowed, divorced, God created us for community. And it's why God places us in church, in families, and in a wider community. God places us in community to help one another. And God underlines the beauty of this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28. This is what it says. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Listen to that. Through faith, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That may, you may feel that jars you. Why am I being called a son? I'm a woman. You're a son because you're in the Son, Jesus Christ. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is rich theological truth. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus because he is the Son. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is the beauty of community that God intended. I'm going to pray. I'd just love you to, at this moment, just to be responding to God in your heart. Maybe you know the challenge for you is taking responsibility. Maybe you're a, a man here and you know you need to make changes. Maybe you're a woman here and you know that you need to take responsibility for what God's put in front of you. Maybe you've got battles going on at home and in terms of marriage. God wants you to know that he's your father and he wants to help you. He is your helper. So as we respond, the musicians are going to come out. I just want you to be reaching out to God. Maybe you want to reach out your hands. Maybe you want to put your trust in Jesus at this moment. Say, Jesus, I give my life to you right now for the first time. Lord, we stand before you this morning. We come before you. We stand, Lord God, in our hearts and say, God, I've been created in your image. Thank you for the way you've made me. Thank you for the way you've made me. Thank you for the person you've made me to be. Where I've messed up and failed and made mistakes, thank you that you forgive me. 
Thank you that you're my helper, that you come to help me in my weakness, to make me strong. Thank you for the people you've put around me to help me be the person you've called me to be. Father, help me to experience community in a new way, to make a difference, to be a community creator, not someone who pulls it down, not someone waiting for it to be done to me, but someone who's looking to create it at every opportunity in the way I treat others. Lord, help me, I pray. Holy Spirit, come on us. Come on us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.